0: I'm frustrated by the fact that every time we start these recordings, we've already been talking for like 15 minutes to three hours, and we pretend like we just met.
1: It is... Okay, dear listeners, I'm sorry if you hear my fan, but it is so hot where I am today that I sat here without the fan on for a couple of seconds and was immediately like sure that the apocalypse was coming and then when i turned the fan back on again i felt better so you're just gonna have to listen to it
0: dear listeners i'm not sorry if you can hear my cat ruining the podcast (laughs) i don't know how to get him to stop and i just like don't want to impede his autonomy so yeah i know that he's sniffing the microphone right now he'll do what he wants to do you know he's a cat (laughs) He's not a ceiling fan. You cannot turn him off. Welcome back to Check This Please, the podcast where fisting discourse makes a triumphant return. Today, we're going to be doing a special episode to celebrate finishing year one of Biddy's college career. Nearly 78% of voters said they wanted to hear about a topic that we called Wanko Rama, FFA, slash weirdest fandom discourse. The weirdest fandom discourse part of this was suggested by somebody who filled out our suggestion box before we made this poll and we crammed it together with some talk about FFA. What is FFA? We'll tell you if you keep listening, but we are really happy to present this episode. Before we even get into it, I want to say thank you to Queer of Cups who helped talk me through some wanks that we had maybe uh, overlooked a little because god there's so fucking much that you just can't remember at all and you need help so we're, we're grateful to that assist to use some hockey terminology I feel like this is basically going to be a sort of laundry list of different wanks all of which could be their own breakout episode And I'm not saying that that would definitely happen, but many of these topics that I think we're going to skirt over are things that like, we really could talk about, like just this topic, for hours and hours. Yeah, before we start talking about specific check please things, I think we need to uh, get into a definition of what discourse is, and maybe talk about what wank is. And like I said, we need to define FFA. So let's break it down a little bit at the, at the start. Like I said, we're going to be talking about not necessarily fisting, but certainly a fister, and perhaps an occasional fisty. So tomato, do you want to get into it? Uh, with your fist, maybe? If you would have my fist, I still
1: wouldn't, but yeah, let's get into it. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I don't want, this. no. <laughs> so, uh, discourse as we're using it in this particular case, and as we've briefly mentioned before, means beyond the internet definition of a thing we're arguing about, in order to prove our moral righteousness or whatever, also means a conversation. And specifically, if we look at one of, you know, everybody's favorite philosophers of the 20th century, Michel Foucault, who is basically, if you haven't read Michel Foucault, a French guy who did love fisting, who completely changed the face of 20th century philosophy by being like but why do we think that? And uh, after this, almost all sort of like studies in literature and philosophy and to some extent in history, um, which focus on the latter part of the 20th century and beyond, and sometimes because Foucault dealt with history far before that as well, have been influenced by his way of thinking. And the way that he particularly defined discourse, as far as I understand it, as a non-expert, but as someone interested in the way that Foucault talked about discourse is... Systems of knowledge and of power as they are constituted in a specific context. So, not only ideas, but also how ideas form, the emotional, social, ethical, and other kinds of systems of thought and behavior that inform kinds of knowledges, the way that those knowledges relate to power, and then how all those knowledges intersect and how people talk to each other about ideas and how ideas intersect in actual lives and people and systems. Fan works are a type of discourse because they are in exchange with the canon. And of course, there are also other kinds of actual conversations, like fan conversations about Check, Please and fan conversations with Ngozi, which also contribute to discourses around Check, Please. So- In short, it's a conversation. In long form, it's a conversation that's informed by lots and lots and lots of things around that conversation. And if we look at fan works, particularly transformative fan works, as a type of discourse, it's because they're commenting on, pushing, changing, um, interrogating the original text.
0: Just to make sure that everyone's clear that we're not just, like, being obnoxious because we went to school. Something that, I mean, obviously that's what I'm always doing, but, like, one of the why I wanted to specifically address the Foucauldian idea of discursive analysis at the top of this podcast is because the way that people use the term discourse is not unrelated to the way that Foucault constructed it and the way that it's now accepted in like, academia. So, Foucault is very much interested in the way that like systems are built and the way that like subjects function within those systems. I'm using the terms systems and subjects like very very broadly because Foucault's main thing was to essentially like take this model and paste it onto like any topic that he thought was interesting,
1: any topic. Over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, so, like, he talked about the prison system very famously. He talked about sexuality very famously. And he effectively took this, I mean, I'm sure some, like, I don't know, philosopher or somebody who's, like, French post-structuralist would, like, come in and be like, no, you're simplifying. And it's like, yes, I'm simplifying. But basically what he did was he took this way of thinking about how power was constructed and pasted it onto anything that he felt like pasting it onto. And sometimes his argument is really great. Sometimes his argument is pretty shoddy. Oftentimes the way that it's written is so incredibly slippery that two completely well-informed critical thinkers could look at what he's written and come out with two completely different interpretations. And,
1: um, and they, that does happen regularly. And there's also, I just want to note, been a lot of criticism about Foucault because of his limitations. Again, his perspective was limited. Um, so I want to recognize that too.
0: Yeah. I mean, just to be clear, he's like a white middle-aged French man who has been educated in, like, the upper echelons of Western European philosophy. So that's the perspective that he's coming from. And, um, yeah, I think it's also maybe worth noting that, like, he originally wrote much of this in French. Surely everybody in, like... English-speaking academia who's ever thought through Foucault was maybe like one degree removed from total comprehension of what he was really getting at. Regardless, I think his basic point about discourse is very much that it is a kind of social construction that is pretty much about the subject who in the context of fandom, I would call like the fan, like the individual, and how they relate to a broader system. So it's very much a sort of socio-political structuring through the nature of exchange of ideas. And I realized that this is all sort of like... I don't know, jargony, kind of like maybe overthinking it. You could just say that discourse is like a synonym for conversation or debate or whatever. And you also wouldn't be wrong. But I think that the sort of social justice inflection that a lot of fandom discourse has taken on really makes understanding the Foucauldian concept of discourse not unhelpful. Because
1: so much of that desire for social justice-oriented critique, I guess is what I'll call it, um, is very much about unpacking systems of power, not only in the context of fandom, but in the context of society at large. And this was one of Foucault's kind of like major interests. The reason he was looking at sexuality, the reason he was looking at prison and systems of discipline was to examine how they work, why they work that way and to unpack them into a component part so that we can understand kind of where we ended up. His, his discursive analysis and critiques of his discursive analysis because of its limitations is a real cornerstone of post-colonial studies using his ideas or reacting to his ideas is a real cornerstone of post-colonial studies. And of course, a lot of fans, you know, are impacted in some way by academia, not all fans obviously, but many. And so you end up seeing a lot of the kinds of conversations that happens in academic spaces, including in spaces around like anti-imperialist academic discussion, often trickle down into the internet and trickle down into to fandom places secret and i are like trying to use this model as a way of thinking about the conversations that we've seen in in this space and it seems like a useful model
0: a lot of the concepts that we've been talking about on this podcast leading up to this particular episode are part of what you would call like check please as a discourse. Um, fandom is itself a system. You could call, if you wanted to get further micro, the check please fandom a discourse. Check Please itself is a discourse and you could basically take all of the paratexts that we're constantly talking about and all of the fan works that we're constantly talking about and construct all of that on the topic of Check Please as its own discourse. So when we talk about discourse in this episode... I think it's important to draw a distinction between our overarching system that like follows a sort of Foucauldian model and also these sort of smaller discourses, which in an earlier era of fandom, maybe you would have called wank. I do think,
1: at least tonally, there is a difference between discourse and wank. Wank did not used to have such a strong social justice element. The rhetoric was not as strongly informed by conversations about unpacking systems of power. Not to say that that couldn't happen. Certainly, it could but there was a different, there was a different tone. That's the best way I can describe it. For me, old school wank eventually transformed into what I would now call sort of discourse and call out posts. They're, they're, They're two things that serve similar functions, but the way that those functions operate on the internet are super different because the internet is a really, really different space than it was 20 years ago. Wank for me, is drama most of the time. You know, someone's like faked cancer again, or someone's like created a bunch of sock puppet accounts who are going off and defending them against all attackers. You know, that still happens. Following Wank, there would be discussions about what happened, which could be a Wank reporter, could just be kind of like continuous wanking about it, i.e. continuous conversations about it. Partially that conversational element of wank is about complaining. There was also, and this is what made me think about call-out posts, there was also this element of public accountability for the completely batshit things that people do online. But there was not usually a social justice turn to these wank reports or to these kinds of public accountability. Instead, it was like making fun of someone for being ridiculous. Sometimes the things being discussed were really devastating, like, you know, Couple of fandom cults out there that have been sort of wanked about. That stuff was really, really serious. Sometimes it's just like ridiculous and hilarious. Like Cassandra Clare, noted fandom icon, (laughs) I guess, um, was subject to quite a bit of wank in her day because of like alleged plagiarism, which she said was like a fun game. Anyway, you can look into it if you want. All of this is to say that wank is a kind of conversation that is still certainly happening, but it's happening in fewer and fewer spaces, whereas Discourse has sort of taken the place of what I would call wank on spaces like Tumblr and Twitter.
0: A wank or a wank report, which is the written case study of a a wank, is, well, now I'm sad that I burned the term case study. Basically, wank usually revolves around specific people and specific incidents. It's like, this person did this, or this is, I am describing, I am writing basically a record of... Incidents and behaviors that were absurd and dramatic. I do feel like there is overlap here. Most of the very famous wanks that we talk about when we talk about, like, historic wanks of yore, for example, Cassandra Clare are well known and remembered because they were patently absurd. And there's something almost like surreal about them. Who was hurt by Cassandra Clare? I think some people, but like truly a minority, it was not like a systemic injustice your description of discourse as having this sort of like socio-political, maybe like social justice bent to it is accurate. I guess maybe I would say the relationship goes like this at this point. Sometimes winks happen because of discourse. Sometimes discourse generates around case studies of winks. I think that the case of pulling apart HIV livings particular injustices is itself a wank, like very specifically. However, there is discourse within the wank surrounding who is allowed to do what on the internet, who gets to benefit from telling what kinds of stories, and what social capital within fandom means. And so there's a sort of broader applied discourse, even though the actual drama that transpired, I would call a wink. So sometimes these things end up being like enmeshed. And to bring this forward into like check please fandom, Nothing, I think, that has ever happened in Check Please fandom is, like, iconic in a wanky way, the way that, like, some of these very surreal, like, infamous wanks have been. However, I think some of the discourse in Check Please fandom has spawned wanks. Likewise, some of the discourse has formed around wanks that have been happening. So like specific instances of critique blogs springing up that have like gone after certain fans or become infamous for being annoying, whatever the case may be. Some of those things resemble like wanks more properly but discourse is usually the sort of packaging that surrounds these cases of fandom drama.
1: I will also say that while there were certainly you know in some sense discourses around old school wank the internet as I mentioned was a very different place at least this is my impression and there was much less concern you know For better and for worse um, about who was allowed to do what. There was much less interest in policing who was allowed to do what and when. Obviously, some of that comes from really important places of people being silenced or people's experiences being ignored, and some of it comes from a more control-oriented place, and we can kind of get into that the the shift in the way, or something that I see as a shift in the way these conversations happened online kind of happened outside of my understanding. And then I stumbled across it and became kind of obsessed with trying to figure it out. So this is something I think about a lot. Wanks, before the current era of social media, tended to sometimes spawn discourses, but typically be fairly self-contained. And typically the ones that I best remember tended to be self-contained about the absurdity of the person doing the ridiculous thing, as opposed to blossoming, blossoming into larger conversations about behavior overall.
0: Old school wanks, such as you would see written up on like Fandom Wank or Bad Penny or whatever. Yeah, they're usually about things that are like really limited in their applicability to like a broader audience. Other than that, they're like entertaining. So they're usually about like money like somebody scammed a bunch of people out of money i don't mean like you know ethics about who deserves to make money off of fan works i mean literally somebody making up a lie that was like batshit crazy and like getting people to like give them a lot of paypal donations and then it turned out that like it was just some crazy made-up shit Or wink about IP addresses where it's like the owners of the community noticed that like the 800 comments in support of somebody all came from the same IP address. And then usually what happens that like make these things into like wink storms, you know, the the person at the center of it starts coming up with like really entertaining convoluted lies about like why like the 800 supporters all happen to have like also their IP address or something. Something like that. I have not actually personally been involved or aware of anything in Sheckley's fandom that is like either that entertaining or like even of that nature, to be honest. Like, usually when people argue in this fandom, it is not over anything that is like that kooky and memorable, it's usually over like issues.
1: That's my experience, too. No one's like, I need a new laptop so I can keep you, keep you apprised of, you know, the latest sex positions that Jack and Viddy are in or whatever. Surprise, they're all missionary. <laughs> so you asked, isn't this desirable? Don't we want to have discourse
0: with each other? Yeah, I mean, the third thing I wrote that you didn't read off the outline was, if not, what are we fucking doing here? Something that I have seen many times in fandom is like i'm so tired of discourse i'm so tired of like discourse i don't want to like have blah 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 and it's definitely i think people have gotten like the impression that discourse is always negative i think discourse is neutral and has a strong potential to be positive i'm in fandom because I want to talk to people and exchange discursive analysis. I want to figure out the relationship of the subject to power in check please fandom or just fandom generally. I want to hear what other people are thinking. I want to know how other people are constructing their experience. I want to know which other sex positions Jack and Biddy could try when they get bored of missionary. So like discourse to me, I think people have basically begun to either feel like it's just a synonym for drama and they just wanna have like a fun, totally positive fandom experience and they don't want to hear any like harshing of their vibes. They don't want things to be complicated. They just want to enjoy, you know, the idea that like Zimbits has a wedding pie, even though that's a horrible idea because nobody wants pie at a wedding or whatever. They just want like a very straightforward, simplistic, I want to enjoy my fluff and like be happy about the things that I like. And I don't want it to be complicated with opposing views that challenge the rightness of what I already feel. I also think that um, that's bullshit. And um, it's just like not what I'm in fandom for. Like, I'm here for discourse. Like, I think it's neutral, trending toward good, not negative. Keep it off of my Tumblr reblogs.
1: I agree completely with that perspective. However, I will say that I do understand how the things that people call discourse can get exhausting. And I certainly had a bit of that in Check, Please. When discourse shifts from being about a text and interrogating how we relate to texts and to each other in good faith ways, and instead becomes an endless wink rama basically. Um, but when it becomes this kind of like endless, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you think the thing that you think is wrong, and it, it's not actually a conversation back and forth. Instead, it becomes a, an attempt to shut down different kinds of viewpoints through various methods. We still call that discourse, but for me, that's like not actually discourse because it's, or, or, or it's a type of discourse, I guess, in the Foucauldian sense, but it's not really a conversation. It's not really like, oh, you think this interesting, that's different from how I'm experiencing it. But rather than accepting that our viewpoints are separate and going our separate ways or saying, oh, interesting that you think this thing other than me, let's kind of like talk about how our, how our experiences overlap or don't, um, it becomes this. Desire to shut down anything that does not uh, agree with your already given perspective. That can manifest, as as you said, this desire for a very straightforward fandom experience, like don't talk to me about these other things. It can also manifest in really fairly bananas pilings on on a particular person who has been you know, who has like wronged the discourse in some way. And so that I think, even though I think of that as discourse in a certain way because that's usually how it's tagged or whatever, um, that I think is pretty exhausting. Interrogating a text together, that I'm definitely here for. But I had a while where I had to just sort of like, talk to you and write fandom on uh, and, and write fanfic by myself because the conversations that were happening in my circle of Tumblr or whatever, were so frustrating that I needed to not look at them. I feel
0: like a lot of the issue here is tone. I also think that part of what makes this really tough is that a lot of things are really subjective, even things that to you seem like they are pretty cut and dry. There are many things that become topics of discourse that we all agree in principle on. But when you start to ask questions about, well, how do those principles apply? Not everybody is on the same page. And that's where things can get really exhausting. Like, unfortunately, there is no single arbiter of like, what is transphobia, for example. I feel like I am pretty confident for various reasons in determining what I feel is and is not transphobic, but I have seen in Check Please, different parties label things that I consider like positive gender experimentation as transphobia. And I'm really pretty sure that those people are not just being assholes. I think they really think that. If we came at this with good intentions to try to find out why we construct similar concepts differently based on our own biases, this wouldn't necessarily be an issue. But even as I was saying that, I do understand that it just like sounds really exhausting. And many people are just, like, tired and they're angry. Not just, like, on a daily basis, they're, like, exhausted because life is hard and they have to, like, work three jobs, but also they're just, like, existentially exhausted of, like, of, like, encountering bigotry everywhere. There are things that I don't personally feel that comfortable assessing either, like, I don't know that I'm the right authority to tell you what is, like, racist, necessarily. Like I can tell you what sounds racist to me, but I'm also a white person. So if somebody comes in and they say that, like, something is racist and they're a person of color, like, I don't know what to do other than, like, believe them, you know? I do know. I know intimately, I think part of the problem and like why this exhausts people is because like there isn 't always a lot of consensus, even on things that like in theory, we should all agree on That said, I guess my perspective rolls back around to the way to try to resolve these issues is just to continue, like, creating discourse about it so that we can continue to, like, inform each other and hopefully, like, move the conversation in the right direction. It's not to just throw your hands up in the air and be like, oh, I'm done. I'm tired of hearing about unhappy issues, so I just want to go home. I think you can tell when somebody is, like, making a really good faith appeal about a controversial issue and when somebody is just like kind of an asshole.
1: But what's interesting to me about discourse in the fandom sense is how good faith appeals are not always met with good faith and asshole appeals are not always met with bad faith. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Um, in my experience, how different kinds of conversations about these difficult topics can get completely different and often unexpected responses. It's hard to predict necessarily what kinds of conversations will lead to what kinds of reactions and in part, that's because we're all different people and we're all coming to this space, you know, this fandom space with like really, really different experiences and really different expectations and really different things we think are fun um, and really different lives and so Because of that, you get really, really incredible exchanges. And then you also get really difficult, painful exchanges. Um, And I've had my fair share of, of both.
0: So FFA is, I would say, probably the primary unified venue where the vast majority of these conversations are happening among fans in real time. Fail Fandom Anon, it's fail hyphen, fandom anon, one word, a community that is now on DreamWidth, is an anon meme that was founded originally on Live journal in 2010, and it moved to DreamWidth in 2014. So it's a really long running pan fandom discussion space. Every post, is refreshed after 6,500 comments at this point. That's been bumped up over the years that I've been reading it at least. I believe the Check Please threads are what bumped it up from 6,000 to 6,500 just just in case anybody wants to take credit for that. Basically, if you're not familiar with what a, a non-meme is, it's a mod of the community. All of the mods function under um, anonymous handles. So The mod makes a post and then within the post, it's just a blank slate of 6500 comment quota and until it hits that quota people make threads about anything they want to so long as it is predominantly fandom related everybody on the meme is anonymous fail fandom anon has its own very particular culture so you get many threads on every post that are pretty much like standard. For example, every single fail fandom anon post is going to have a fandom venting thread, a random venting thread, an ask other anonymous commenters thread a fic Rex thread where people basically make requests for, does anybody know of like, you know, an NHL RPS fic that deals with like weight gain or like something very specific like that. And then sometimes you'll get responses and sometimes you won't. Why is that what I thought of? You also get fandom particular threads. You also get things that deal with current events. So like... There's usually politics for America and the UK and the rest of the world relegated to their own threads. I'm not gonna go through like every single FFA thread, but it's a really good place to have pan-fandom discussion usually. Up until late 2017, so until the end of year three in check please time, Sometimes check please would pop up in some of these other threads. Usually, it would be either in the small fandom thread; it would be its own subthread within that category, or it would be a thread within web comics. Very rarely did it get its own or its own robust thread on the larger meme. Then. Jack and Biddy came out by kissing on the ice after the Falconers win the Stanley Cup. And Chuck please threads on fail Sandmanon exploded. And when I say exploded, I mean for several months to a few years Regularly, check please would have like threads that were hundreds of comments long, and oh boy, what a treat!
1: Every FFA post, there's a roundup of how many threads had the most comments of the previous post, and check please would regularly rank um, and these conversations covered all sorts of things from fandom discourses. Yes, of course, to plot bunnies, to fic wrecks, to character discussion. I mean, anything that anyone wanted to talk about, they would bring up. But in my experience, one of the most common topics was frustrations that people had with the comic, especially as year four rolled out and... The end became in sight. The way that people had expected the comic to go, it became clear the comic was not going to go. Because Tumblr was so positive, FFA kind of emerged as the space where people who didn't necessarily agree with the overarching positivity could discuss their own feelings. And these conversations had their own sort of culture develop over time and their own tone develop over time because it was a space that was populated by a different group of people, although obviously overlapping since both of us are on Tumblr and FFA. And because it provided a venue to discuss anonymously things that you might think about the, the comic or the characters, which wouldn't necessarily be taken well in the Tumblr space.
0: Yeah, so I would go so far as to say that Check, Please on Fail, Fandom, and on is its own kind of discourse. It has discourses that are both related to the rest of Check, Please fandom and also its own internal discourse that is particular to this space. The discourse around Check, Please, I would say on Fail, Fandom, and On over the course of the past, uh, we're getting into like three years now, tends to follow a particular pattern. Somebody comes along and makes a pointed criticism of check please and or the author of check please. Sometimes these are really valid. Sometimes they're really subjective. Sometimes they're really stupid. It really runs the gamut. Somebody will then come along and start a counter argument along the lines of, if you hate this comment so much, why are you reading it and continuing to like complain about it on Fail Fandom on? Then the counter-character argument would be this is the only place to really have check please critical discussion because the tone of the rest of the fandom is that the comic is perfect and Biddy is a saint. And then the counter 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 argument would basically be you just have a hate boner for this comic, you are BEC, which is a term that I have literally never seen outside of Fail Fandom maybe it exists elsewhere, I don't know, but it stands for Bitch Eating Crackers. And what it means is when you see something that you pettily dislike The way which you approach it is, ugh, look at that bitch eating crackers like she owns the place. The context of it being... Eating crackers doesn't make you a bitch. It's a completely neutral, non-hurtful gesture. But you hate that person so much that no matter what they do, you're going to critique it. And you just get into this fucking cycle every single time there is a check please post on FFA that literally mirrors this particular discourse. Before we go any further, I will say that like tomato said, yes, there are a lot of like plot bunny threads, almost every check please thread on FFA has sub-threads in it that are like people bouncing around plot ideas, people saying positive things about stuff they actually like in the comic. There's usually like a positivity thread. There are threads that are just for like check please specific fic recs. There is usually a check please fic discussion thread for if there's fan works that you've mostly liked. Very few people bring up fan works to shit on them actually in these threads so it's not like the whole thing is always just like cyclical bullshit discourse however this cycle of discourse can we should we hate this thing and if we do is it still okay to read it yes it is no it isn't crops up now in every single thread I would say uh, this comic I found from April 2020 is probably a good summary of like what the mood on Check Please FFA threads is now. The meme thread is 99% people who are fans of a single character and ship that the creator doesn't like and they'll never let anyone else forget it. Want to talk about side characters or other ships? No, only discussion about how wronged and mistreated Parse fans are. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much, like, encapsulates what the drama is because obviously true that the threads on FFA are overwhelmingly... Check Please Skeptical leaning into Check Please Critical. And also, a lot of people who are fans of Kent Parson and really dislike Biddy tend to populate these threads. However, it is also completely true that if you are of the opinion that you really like Kent Parson and you don't really like Biddy, yeah, I mean, there are not that many group spaces in which to discuss the comic. Like, if you do that on Tumblr you're liable to find yourself mired in wank. However, based on how things have gone, it seems like this isn't really a great space for it either.
1: I think sometimes there are conversations which can be productive and interesting, even about characters that people have contentious feelings about. But inevitably, someone else comes in and is like, oh my god, I can't believe we're having this conversation again. And that's where the wank tends to start. So at this point, it's almost self-perpetuating. Sometimes people who are actually not part of the Check Please fandom will see this happen. So people who read the Anonymous Either just go to the threads you're interested in or you can get a view of it where you can see each new each new comment as it rolls in um, and you can see like what people are talking about and because Check Please was so big slash is so big, uh, people who are not actually part of the fandom will like come in and have opinions about it um, and so that can also exacerbate the kinds of wank or discourse that are happening on FFA because um and so you end up in this space where people who are irritated about seeing these conversations happen will come in and say oh my god can't you guys shut up or whatever and so it's this weird self-perpetuating thing where sometimes really wonderful conversations happen but then also this constant cycle of frustration about the fact that the conversations are happening also pop up
0: and this whole thing is crazy because it's a fucking a non-meme so like first of all you can make as many threads as you want like you can make a fucking like New thread if you don't like what's happening in the other threads. Something that's interesting about old school journaling platforms, in case you're somebody who uh, came into fandom on Tumblr and hasn't had a lot of experience on DreamWidth or the site whose code it's based on, LiveJournal, is that you can collapse threads and you don't have to look at them. In fact, you can basically completely hide them. This isn't something where it's necessarily going to keep coming in front of your face unless you fail to take steps to prevent it from doing so. I would say the biggest problem with FFA and the reason why this shit starts to get so crazy is, again, because everybody is anonymous. People on FFA refer to each other as nani. There's no context for any comment. So it's like completely impossible to place how, where, and like why people are coming to every position. Like, I understand that since this is like a recorded podcast, you can't like see us. So there are some things about us that you don't know. And to some extent, like secret and tomato are like abstractions. But it's also the case that like we've been in fandom for a long time. And like we have uh, records of like what we've been doing in fandom. And you can probably based on like listening to us slash reading our output, like put together like some biographical details and some reconstruction of like our positions on things in fandom over the years that can help you like connect. Contextualize what it is that we're responding to when we say things that maybe help us seem like not crazy. But you can't do that on an anon meme because everybody is just a disembodied text. It's not always clear which nanny you're talking to, because unless somebody specifically identifies them by saying, like, I'm D.A., different anon, or S.A., same anon, when they're, like, replying to a comment, you, you don't know, like, that you're having this threaded conversation with the same person, even sometimes when people do that self-identifying process. Like these threads, if they have 500 comments and there's a bunch of different like, sub-threads going on, they get pretty unwieldy. So it's hard to know if the person who you're getting angry at is actually the person who made the like original comment you have a problem with eight comments up. Detailing the problems within a non-mean starts to kind of sound crazy and abstract. But like, I don't know if you've ever read a thread on like Discus or whatever, just imagine trying to do that. But every single person is anonymous. None of them have icons. There's no identifying details. Finally, it's never clear how many voices are in one thread. And I think one problem with check please on FFA possibly other FFA threads, but definitely with Check, Please, is that oftentimes somebody will post a really crazy comment that like is a take that's like memorably ridiculous. It definitely does happen. And then people sort of distill that comment down into like the mood or like the viewpoint of every check please thread on ffa so somebody will say like oh check please threads on this site are crazy they always blank and nannies are constantly saying things like whatever and it's like well you actually don't know how many people in these threads actually have this view you are sometimes taking one especially crazy Comment and like allowing it to be overly representative of what's being presented because everything is written by anonymous, so like, how do you know that it's not? At the same time, people like the same Anon can make like I don't know hundreds of comments on any given post,
1: and sometimes probably do.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I have, not all the time, but like definitely if I'm like really passionate about something and the thread is like going really strongly, I'll like get involved in a conversation with somebody. But then it's like difficult to state that like, oh, you know, every single check please Nani on FFA feels blah, 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 because they're looking at like 17 comments all written by me or tomato or some other check, please, Nani and uh, basically imputing that to a whole group of people, which is incorrect. And then yeah, the uh, flat memeing doesn't help either because you're seeing the comment with even less context. I love FFA, like
1: I really genuinely love FFA. It has its problems, but I think it's a great place to have really interesting discussions that don't happen really in my other fandom spaces. But FFA at large has this cultural frustration with anything that gets really wanky or really unwieldy in the size of its threads, particularly if it's for something that a lot of people... Like, Checkblaze is a relatively small fandom compared to, like, say, MCU or something. And because it was so insistently present on FFA, pretty regularly people show up and say, I haven't read the comic, I just know what I know through osmosis based on coming across FFA discussions and then jump in with opinions about either the comic or about the characters, or about the fact that people are continuously discussing it. Like, I can't believe you guys are at it again is a uh, regular kind of sentiment that you might hear. And so that just kind of adds to the frustration because then people feel like they're being silenced and then they respond. And of course, like, actually no one's being silenced. This isn't a Again, you can hide things or say whatever you want. It can get a bit contentious in this way. This is something that frustrates me because oftentimes really wonderful conversations end up getting derailed by exactly the pattern that Secret pointed out before where people end up saying like you're reading too much into this comic you're just BEC about Ngozi shut up essentially if you don't like it don't read it which ended up mirroring some of the conversations that happened on Tumblr but from a different direction just a brief note about BEC my old terrible co-workers used to say it so it's definitely a thing but those are the only two
0: places that I've heard it so it can't be that common in case you're wondering I don't know at first, this sounded like a place I'd like to check out, but now it sounds terrible. It is moderated, and the mods are pretty good. There are hard rules about what you are and aren't allowed to do on Fail Menon. Body fluid talk is banned. Fat wank is banned. Transphobia and racism are banned. Religion wank is banned. Country wank is banned. So all of these things that, like tend to be sources of contention, either within fandom or just on the internet in general that tend to be like triggering for everybody involved because they're like divisive by nature are often things that like as soon as you put like mods in a comment like M-O-D-S in caps and like the subject line of a comment like the mods will come and like freeze the thread the mods are quite responsive so it's not a community without like moderation it's not just basically like a feeding zone for trolls or anything like that it's also as a community that's existed for a long time become very adaptable like they are constantly assessing and reassessing like what ought to be allowed what ought to go into separate posts so it's not part of the main fandom fail fandom non-posts it's you know u.s politics after the 2016 election for example was all moved to its own post personal posts all go in their own posts, that kind of thing. And they're constantly rethinking like how to do this and what their policy should be. So they're adaptable and they do like kind of listen to and follow the consensus of the people who are participants in the community. The other thing I will say is that if you're into Fail Fandom on, but you just don't want to sift through everything, there is a fucking amazing database of all of Fail Fandom Every single post, every single thread for the history of the community, it is called D-Meme, D-E-M-E-M-E, and There is a great search engine that will allow you to basically find exactly what you're looking for. So if what you're looking for is check please, type it in and you will find all of the content you're looking for about check please. And then you don't have to wade through like a bunch of fucking like MCU threads.
1: And I will also say that despite these frustrations and the fact that I read threads that are somewhat contentious in two fandoms, which are Check Please and then more recently I've been reading It threads. I still find Fail Fandom Anon to be a really interesting affirming place where really thoughtful conversations are happening in a way that are often shut down on other platforms or are not possible on other platforms because those platforms are actually not designed for discussion. Like for example, Tumblr, you can have really interesting conversations on Tumblr, but Tumblr is not actually designed for discussion. And so it has its limitations as a platform. If you haven't spent a lot of time on LiveJournal, DreamWith, or other of that era of journaling sites, the comments discussion are a lot like AO3's comments discussion, but unlike in AO3, they tend to actually be used for conversations that can happen on AO3, but it's a bit more unusual. And so you end up in Fail Fandom and On with this really, like, great, interesting space with really, really diverse fans from many different perspectives talking about, I don't know, all sorts Stuff like there was a great thread not long ago about you know AO3 house style, and, and that was really interesting to me as a writer. So, even if you don't necessarily want to jump into you know the check, please thread. Um, you, you should still check it out. It's a really cool space.
0: Yeah, as far as I'm aware, it's actually sort of the only space like this that exists, where you're able to kind of like take the temperature of pan fandom on a variety of different topics. And it can be kind of annoying if you don't see what you want discussed there being discussed. For example, before like check please threads exploded on fail fandom Anon. very rarely is South Park discussed and very rarely was check please discussed but I still got a lot out of sort of taking the fandom temperature and kind of keeping up with like what was on people's minds and it's a good way to sort of know like what fandoms are hot right now how are people writing about them what are like the kinks and tropes that people are interested in these days what pieces of news have people dug up that they think are interesting to how they do fandom, etc. I want to make one point before we start talking about specific discourses in Chuck Please fandom, which is that whoever suggested this, and of course it was anonymous, so like, I don't know, they're the ones who use the phrase weirdest. This is now the second special episode we've done where we're approaching the topic from the perspective of weirdest, and I actually don't like this word, is what I've figured out. Um, I feel like I tried to think of weird discourse that is, it's not topical. And honestly, I really couldn't come up with anything. First of all, weird is totally subjective. So like something that I find to be weird, both might not be weird to you, listener, and also even if we both agree that it's weird, we might not think it's weird for the same reasons. So case in point, the first thing that I wrote when I was making this outline was, is it right to even count Kent Parson? He's the biggest discourse, but it is by no means weird. It's typical even. I mean, this is obviously something we're going to have to cover later and elsewhere to greater extent, but like, I wouldn't call discourse around Kent Parson weird. I think it is the model discourse within Sheck Please fandom. So like by my definition, even though certain aspects of the conversation are frustrating and maybe take logical sort of rhetorical arguments that I wouldn't necessarily take. It's not weird, it's incredibly commonplace. It's like the discourse. Here, here. Well, so wait maybe- a moment. You said, I think we can count Canon's response to Ken parson Wink as weird, so yes. <laughs> so what the hell does that mean?
1: I've been convinced that I was wrong. I don't think the discourse is that weird. But I do think what's unusual about Check, Please is the lack of distance between fandom conversation and then because the comic was actually being written as this discourse was happening, there was a specific impact on canon from that conversation. But to me, that's unusual based on other fandoms I've been in where even if there was a sort of powers that be response to fandom discourse because it was an ongoing series, like a TV series or whatever, the experience was not the same. So I think there is something a little weird based on the conversation between fan spaces and canon spaces. But that said, the discourse itself, like, I'm convinced. It's really not that weird. And in fact, it's emblematic of the entire host of tensions that one sees in Check, Please! fandom are all kind of wrapped up in the question of Kent Parson. So yeah, it's not really that weird. Discourses, minus weirdest, just discourses.
0: Again, I think that a lot of what we're going to cover here are things that like, uh, for the most part, could be blown up into their own longer episode, just focusing on all the nuances of whatever. And I think that this is basically like the primary one. I think we could do like a three-part episode on Parse Course. We would probably not cover all of it because it is something that has just weighed on so much of the comic and so much of, I don't know, the experience of being in the fandom. I really feel like the only way to do this topic justice is to, like, not crack it open as if it is just regular discourse, because I think it is, like, foundational discourse.
1: I think we should plan to acknowledge it and maybe nod towards it as necessary as we get towards places in the comic where he comes up. And then maybe uh, maybe there's going to be a special series at some point, because I could talk about this for truly hours. And in fact, you and I have talked about it for hours in the past, and I'm sure we will again. We're talking about it right now,
0: aren't we? Tell me about that pie dough, though. Yeah, so uh, this is the first thing I came up with that wasn't Ken Parson, because for some reason this was something that my brain went, I guess that's weird. I have seen takes in the Check, Please! fandom that... You don't need pie dough. And again, as somebody who bakes pies, not all the time, but enough. Yes, you do. You have to knead pie dough so it will hold together. The difference between kneading pie dough and kneading something like bread is that you want to knead pie dough as little as possible because you don't want to develop gluten. Because developing gluten will make it chewy rather than flaky. And you want your pate brisee to be like light and flaky, whereas you want your bread to be chewy and like pull a party and like you've had bread, but you do have to knead it. You physically have to use your hands to like knead it together at least a little bit. The trick is to do it for like 30 seconds or 45 seconds however little time you can get away with to get it to hold together.
1: We had our own minor discourse in the outline because I was like, okay, that's true, but I wouldn't call handling it as little as possible needing. And in fact, my favorite way to make pâté, pâté brisé is like, you take one finger and you do this to it. We're on a podcast, you can't see For me, I take one finger and I kind of like do it in a spiral until the dough forms into enough of a ball and and has enough stick that I feel like I can can handle it. And I wouldn't call that kneading. But then you made this point about other kinds of kneading. And so there you go. That's how you have a debate, everybody. Here's my model. You just agree the other person's right, you give up.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Tomato. That's really satisfying. Love to hear it. After you type that, did go back and like look at a bunch of pie recipes and they basically all say, knead the dough. In case anyone thought this was going to be a high quality episode, this is where we're fucking at. We started with Foucault and we're on, is it still kneading if you only do it for 15 seconds?
1: But I think that we've really settled a vitriolic debate that I saw multiple iterations of in my time in Check Please fandom. So really you're welcome. And this is high quality. It's high quality, just like Biddy's flaky pie crust, which does not have a soggy bottom.
0: I then started kind of like grouping things in our outline into kind of like larger categories of discourse. So I'm going to start with um, discourse over anything that can't be proved based on the contents of the comic. So... I would say like the er ur-example of this for me is discourse over Jack's sexuality. So like Jack is bi and ignoring that is erasure, but in fact I feel as though there is literally nothing in the text of Jack Please to establish that Jack is bi. Obviously, we'll get to the strips where we talk a little bit about this. I guess we already covered this a lot when we talked about Ransom and Holster commenting on him possibly getting sucked off in a cyst. Like, he never self-identifies as anything. And as you may or may not have heard, people of all kinds of different sexualities sleep with all kinds of different people for many, many, many different types of reasons. So, yeah, I feel like this is something where it's like, you just can't prove it based on the contents of the comic. You're entitled to whatever, like, interpretation you want to make. I know that, like, I have my own personal interpretation that is based fully on my feelings and nothing necessarily correct. But yeah, I'd say this is like an example of something that you get a lot of discourse out of people being like, oh, this is amazing, you know, by representation and like to write him another way is erasure. And it's like, well, you're erasing something that doesn't exist, I guess, because it's like there isn't any confirmation of this other than your own confirmation bias.
1: I think that the this is a erasure part of this is what turns it into a discourse as opposed to anything else. This is something that I saw in check please that I was not expecting and that I, really struggled with coming to understand, uh, which was that your opinions about these fictional characters then get magnified into your ethical considerations more broadly. So for example, if you're ignoring the fact that Jack is bi in canon, you're erasing him and you are biphobic. Like that is kind of the conclusion to that. I don't want to re-litigate this (laughs) discourse or whatever from, you know, three years ago, but... I think it's really interesting and a bit emblematic of the shift that we discussed before in older social media to newer social media iterations of these kinds of conversations. The way that conversations get magnified into casting you know, a, a portrait of the person who's making the argument in whatever direction, um, and the way that that takes on social justice as part of the argument about the person make, making the argument is part of what makes it discourse as opposed to
0: like wank tonally i think this is something that is related to conversations about jack's mental illness and addiction the comic says that he has anxiety but that can mean a lot of things and that he took a medication for it but it never says what kind of medication it was You can make inferences based on the fact that he overdosed on it and some paratexts about it, but, like, there's literally nothing in the comic that confirms or doesn't confirm any specifics at all? I think something that's pretty interesting
1: that of course happens all the time in fandom and all the time with fictional texts is approaching a text with your own experiences and reading into the text those experiences. Certainly that's part of why I love Jack as a character. Seeing Jack and thinking about Jack helps me in some ways think about myself and my own experiences. This is part of what can lead to really contentious conversations Right is if you think Jack has like XYZ situation and someone else has, thinks that Jack has ZYX situation and you're both bringing your own personal, you know, experiences into that reading. When someone else disagrees with your reading, it can feel like a personal attack. At least that's how I often saw that kind of discourse around Jack and his identity. People who found his journey of healing and recovery to be really positive and wonderful and people like some of us, who were less satisfied by that trajectory uh, for various reasons, and so um, a lot of the clashing came came from that
0: It feels like based on four nineteen that when Jack overdosed, he was intentionally trying to commit suicide. I think that's what's being implied yeah, for a very long time, there was a lot of debate about this and yet it's not something that for the majority of the lifespan of the comic could really be like conclusively established related to this is discourse over what exactly is wrong with kent parson in a clinically diagnosable sense and there is a relatively pervasive case going around that he has borderline personality disorder. Yeah,
1: well, I don't have that much to say about Kim Parson has BPD beyond like we see him for a total of four strips and so like it's easy to read or not read whatever you want into him as a result which is a really interesting part about his character I do remember seeing conversations which were like if you don't write Kent Parson as having BPD you are ableist but I think it's really interesting that in Check Please head canons often became so strong that they took on the quality of canon in particular circles.
0: Yeah look I don't think Kent Parson has BPD that doesn't mean that I haven't read like interesting fix that take that as a position but it very obviously is not something that can be proved based on the contents of the comic so if you want to make that interpretation cool good for you and i also feel like yeah interesting fan works can be based on bad interpretation. Like, take that position and go with it. Tell a story about it. Interesting enough, like, I am on board for whatever people want to try to write. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, shutting down people for disagreeing with your interpretation for which there is no confirmation within the text itself is... Not productive. I mean, I think you can have a really interesting conversation about why some people look at the same exact text and come up with wildly different, wildly divergent interpretations. I think it's interesting to talk about why some people really want to find an explanation for why this particular character does what he does within the comic. The motivations that people have in looking for that motivation, for looking for that explanation, probably varies wildly based on the individual. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he has PPD, but, you know, somebody, somebody who's really interesting, who wants to, like, write a well-thought-out meta post or a well thought out story based on this concept. Like I'm open to it in theory, but like, no, I don't think so. And um, yeah, I think Jack is a gay drug addict, whatever. (laughs) High key support. Very good, very good. Something that I would group into this category of things that can't be proved based on the content of the comic uh, in a sort of metatextual sense is the theory that like Ngozi is straight. I have seen the comment made over and over and over again that like based on how she told this story, she could not possibly be LGBT. And all I have to say is I obviously have a biased opinion about whether or not she is or she isn't, but I am pretty sure that you can't prove it one way or the other based on what is in the comic. And as a counterpoint to that, I would offer up the point that A lot of LGBT people really, truly like relate and have found strength and support in what is written in this comic. And they draw something out of it that is really vital for them. So if you told me that a gay person had written check, please, you know, I wouldn't be like, no, they didn't. At the same time, it's like speculating about this is really uncomfortable. I think it's perfectly justified to analyze the text of the comic and complicate it and criticize it and problematize it and characterize its queer politics. We have been doing that up to this point, so I needn't elaborate on how I feel that much more. But I do feel like, yeah, I mean, you can't prove necessarily that somebody is any particular gender and sexuality based on the content of their works. You need to take that confirmation from them directly.
1: Definitely. I do have my own sort of biased readings of various things and, you know, have my own thoughts about this topic. But I don't think it's provable. And I do think that although I have my own frustrations with Ngozi as a creator and with the comic strip at large, people can be really, really, really vicious about her in ways that do make me uncomfortable and this is one of those topics that i think manifests that even if i can understand or can't understand any given sort of argument about whatever um the way that those arguments are made sometimes about ngozi is like very troubling so uh, i don't know that's my thought about that
0: Also, like, if you think a queer person can't make bad art, I think we're going to have a hard time over the coming months and years. Everything
1: ever touched by anyone, anywhere in the LGBTQ plus umbrella, magically a masterpiece.
0: Ugh, I don't know. I've read all that fucking Foucault. I'm not so sure. Ah! Uh,
1: Yeah, you also brought up... um, kind of in a similar vein as certain things that you actually can't prove based on the contents of the comic, you also brought up things that are just straight-up subjective, that have multiple interpretations inherent in them.
0: Yeah, so, uh, oh, there's a lot of these. I think this is a rich vein, (laughs) a rich vein of ore running through this uh, mine. I've seen people make the assertion that Jack and Biddy aren't sexual, and they don't have sexual chemistry, and they're, like, not having sex in the comic and they're not sexually attracted to each other. And I've seen people go so far as to say that, like, Jack could not possibly be sexually attracted to Biddy. This is a tough one because uh, they're obviously supposed to be having sex, but uh, whether or not somebody sees sexual chemistry between these two characters or whether or not they think somebody like Jack would be attracted to somebody who looks like Biddy is drawn has so much more to do with like the reader than the characters or how the characters are constructed. Now, I will go so far as to say that I actually agree with this interpretation personally Sometimes, if not a lot of the time, I think her drawing style is really inconsistent and like the way that Jack and Biddy look standing next to each other uh, really shifts from like panel to panel and comic to comic. So definitely sometimes I see them and I'm just like, oh my God, it's like a little leaguer and a coach or something, rather than like two equal partners who are obviously making love. But there is a discourse, you know? There's like an an intertextual network of reasons and like codes as to why different people read things certain way based on what they're looking at. And it's like, I don't know. I don't think you can, I I don't think it's fair to say basically it is objectively a fact that these characters are drawn as if they are not sexually attracted to each other. Because you want to know what? A lot of people see it. And I think telling them that they're wrong is not correct. I think what is cool to do is to try to have a conversation about why you see it one way and other people see it a different way. Because if you do that conversation in good faith, you get to possibly some interesting points about why we see what we see when we look at these characters based on what we know about what, like, sexual attraction between two men is supposed to be. But having said a lot of that, yeah, I mean, it's like there's a wink about this, and honestly, like, it's art, it's subjective. I I don't know what else to say.
1: This is something that this fandom and a lot of fandoms that I have been in really struggle with, that, like, in fact, multiple interpretations exist at the same time and that it's fine, like it's actually perfectly okay if you think Jack and Biddy are making like wild love against every surface of Jack's, you know, luxury condo. And I think like maybe sometimes they do have sex. Both of those things are fine. One interesting thing that can happen when you have these kinds of conversations that you end up turning back to the text and re-examining it, and that's really valuable. I mean, this is part of why I think our podcast is really valuable for me personally no opinions for you out there listeners like that's your problem but for me it's really really valuable in part because revisiting these characters and revisiting how they're drawn and so on and so forth helps me revisit their relationship i mean i used to think that jack and biddy had a particular chemistry and then as the as the comic rolled on that chemistry started to disappear i think it's worth examining like why that might be the ways that sexuality, particularly between men, are constructed, what it might mean that the comic became more geared towards a wider range of ages, and what that would mean for the portrayal of sexuality. Like, Jack's weird short fetish, not sure what's up with that. Like, there's a lot that's there to explore, but if you end up having a conversation where you're like, Jack and Biddy aren't sexual, and... That's really weird that you think they would be like, okay, and what have you done? Like, what is the purpose of making a comment like that?
0: Style is subjective. Some people look at check please and they're just like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and this woman is so talented and all of these characters look amazing and what a sumptuous feast for the eyes. And then other people look at this and they're like, I hate this style. I just don't like it. And it's like, you want to know what? Neither of those people is wrong. It's completely subjective. It's, uh, it's art. And again, I think it's interesting to have conversations about why people have these biases. Like where does subjectivity come from? Like what is the relationship of the subject to power the power in this case being the text. I think that's an interesting conversation to have that can be really productive and informative, like Tomato said. But unfortunately, despite the fact that I definitely think that, um, yeah, all of the sexual chemistry is leached out of them on the page, uh, you know, that's what I feel. And a lot of people don't see that when they look at it, so I don't know what to tell you. An interesting thing related to this is, uh, oh boy, conversations about whether or not Biddy looks like a child. Well, here's the news. He does. Oh yeah, he does. But here's the thing. Others feel different. And you know
1: what? That's fine, they're not gonna write A fanfic about how Jack Zimmerman accidentally joins Nambla, and that's
0: okay. I'll also say on this that, like, part of why this is complicated is, uh, again, um, Ngozi's drawing style, even though it's like extremely high quality and really well developed in many, many senses, and I enjoy looking at it very much, is also wildly inconsistent. So, like, sometimes even within single strips of the comic, Biddy looks like he could be anywhere from 12 to 40 in like different panels. And it also has a lot to do with, like, is he standing next to Jack Zimmerman or is he standing next to his mother or, like, Lardo? Um, She's not that good at getting a consistent handle on, like, how much weight is in his figure and, like, how bulky he is. And he's only supposed to be six inches taller than Jack, but sometimes it looks like he's several feet shorter. So like, did I say six inches taller? Yeah, I mean, basically it's supposed to be a half foot height difference between them, but sometimes they literally look like one of those forced perspective shots of like Ian McKellen and Elijah Wood like on the fucking donkey cart, like riding in the Hobbiton. So I mean, other times when they're sitting down, it's less crazy looking. So, um, yeah, uh, it's subjective, isn't it? But the eyes really ruin it. Like, the eyes are really the killer. It's,
1: it's the eyes and the little snub nose together that, for me, really just like really pushes that, you know, childhood innocence look.
0: Also, sometimes she gives
1: him rabbit teeth. I would just like to bring up the fact that I'm not in Steven Universe fandom and will never be in Steven Universe fandom. No, fa- that came out of nowhere. Tomato. <laughs> just, just bear with me. But I remember a few years, you know, down the line after Check Please fandom had already really been established, there was like a huge dust up over character height com- inconsistency in Steven Universe fandom. Part of me is really interested in these kinds of conversations because Check, Please spans a period of two different eras of fandom conversations. And I wonder if Check, Please had been started a couple of years later, would there be giant meta posts about how Biddy's inconsistent height is actually promoting pedophilia? Like, maybe. That's pretty interesting.
0: Truly, somebody ought to write a fic where Jack and Biddy are, like, out to dinner on a date and somebody literally, like... Confuses them for, like, father and son. Okay, uh, I'm going to kind of hop around here because I think it's related. Um, Generally, something that's truly subjective is whether or not the Zimbits relationship generally is, like, good or bad or positive or, like, are the power dynamics in it, like, fucked up. I mean, obviously, the answer is it's bad and the power dynamics in it are fucked up. But um, I do have to tell you, it seems like the vast majority of people feel very positively about this. It's super fucking interesting and really gratifying and also to a certain extent like important and necessary to like critique this in order to contextualize it and to get at like, Why do we have the problems that we have? And yet so many people out in the world look at this and they're just like, amazing, true love or whatever. Like, I think that's an important conversation to have. And unfortunately, that involves respecting the others. I don't relate to that. I remember this. uh, Okay, so a crazy post by somebody named Garden of Succulents look into it, was posted um, around the time Jack and Biddy got together that started out with the statement, I'm very uneasy with people who end up in long-term, lifetime relationships with their first sexual partner. But, and then she went through like mental gymnastics to try to land on like why it's okay when Jack and Biddy do it because, spoiler for this meta post, gay rights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to know what? I think this take is awful. I truly disagree with it. I'm sure this is somebody who is writing from a perspective where, for whatever reason, they really, really need to figure out a way to justify this relationship, like being good and making sense. And, you know, what can I tell you other than that? I'd love to have a conversation on any platform about why I disagree with this truly awful take. But at the end of the day, I also have to like understand that like this take doesn't make this person a criminal. There's somebody who grew up in like a completely different country than I did and they've had a totally different set of experiences and they're coming to Checkley is like needing something else. I don't know what
1: you're talking about. I think that a 22-year-old marrying his true love the first boy he ever kissed is actually completely radical and no. Okay. I'm just being an asshole. Um, yeah, obviously I think this take is bananas, but I also completely think that that's fine. And that this person might find my take bananas. And in fact, like, my takes have been called bananas in this fandom. Well, they haven't been called bananas. They've been called edgelord, but you know, whatever. The thing that's interesting to me about discourse and about this kind of take, which again, I also do not find particularly like, interesting or helpful to me as a person is that our opinions can coexist and me thinking it's a bad opinion doesn't make me a bad person and it doesn't make garden of succulents a bad person like disagreeing with someone is actually really valuable because it leads to conversations which help you understand why someone might need a happy ever after love at first assist like true queer romance, marriage story. And then that tells us something about the society in which we're operating. So if you're thinking about us as fans, as subjects, kind of, and our relationship to the text itself, we can also think about ourselves as subjects in relationship to our broader social system and how that impacts the way that we read texts. I think that that, like, actually is helpful and makes you more compassionate and more able to understand why someone might approach a text in a way that does not match the way you approach the text. I
0: feel like I'm really just repeating myself Yeah and I I, I do know what you're saying and it is okay and you want to know what it's also okay to like refute it so long as you don't say like dear you fat whore die in a fire you deserve to be shot this is pedophilia (laughs) like right if you come at it from like I found reading this interesting because it's so wildly different from how I viewed the situation. Here's where I'm coming from. The issues I had with what you wrote were X, Y, and Z. But I find it really interesting that you looked at the same thing I did and came away with blank. Like, that's not agreeing with somebody, but it's basically a template for like, Arguing with them while also respecting their personhood and ability to like form opinions. And here's the thing that I think you were getting at. I will put it like this We don't have to have consensus. There doesn't have to be only one opinion on is check please good or are Biddy's eyes too large and it's creepy. It's okay if some of us feel different ways. Indeed, the more different ways there are to feel in theory, the more interesting the fandom and the more productive the fandom in terms of like making stories and art that respond to these feelings what I find really fucking frustrating is when people's take on anything in fandom or really anything in the world is this isn't that serious. So like, don't even think about it. Why are you overthinking it? And I really fucking hate that because all I have to say is, I know you're here to have fun. Interesting take. I'm also here to have fun. And the way that I have fun is by reading into it and overthinking it. Sorry.
1: This is something that is endlessly frustrating to me about this fandom and indeed about FFA in this fandom because part of the way that I have fun is by deep diving into things. I love immersing myself in texts and thinking about them and unpacking them and questioning them. And so when people say things like, ugh, why are you even here if you hate it so much? Like, why do you think I would devote thousands of hours over many years to check please if I hated it? People do devote time to things they hate because sometimes it's kind of fun to hate things. Like, I get it. But it's very frustrating to me when any hint of critique is met with, ugh, you hater, shut up. There's also something really interesting about particular platforms and their social norms and how that impacts discourse like 2014 to 2017 tumblr was a very specific place with a very specific discourse style which was extremely influenced by social justice discussions that used pithy often very funny or very exaggerated ways of shutting down inquiry that was not appropriate and that leaked into check please fandom it would probably have looked different on LiveJournal.
0: journal that's a whole different conversation oh my god can you imagine fucking like eric biddle going on tumblr at the time and seeing so many posts that just start with like y'all Hello and feeling like, oh, there's a lot of Southerners on here. I
1: cannot imagine Eric Biddle on Tumblr because my image of it starts melting down as soon as he clicks off of pie and like accidentally ends up in like supernatural fandom because Dean Winchester loves pie, And then he's like, oh no, I didn't want incest on, you know,
0: and then like the
1: whole thing would fall apart.
0: Didn't know that about Dean Winchester.
1: Listen, I have a long storied fandom history, and uh, I've ended up with a lot of useless information about various men in various kinds of media. Anyway,
0: let's get back to this. Okay, listen, here's what I know about Supernatural. Sorry, you have to listen now. It's two brothers played by Jensen Ackles (laughs) and Jared Padalecki, maybe? And correct. What? And uh, one of them is attractive and one of them is extremely ugly. I won't tell you which is which. And one of them is by and is sleeping with the angel in a trench coat, played by Misha Collins, whose name is either Castile or Castiel. Don't tell me which. And their father started like Mystery Inc. And they drive around in something like a Pontiac fighting like monsters of the week. And their father is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And there is a um, some kind of subplot on the show about how there is a slash fandom within the show. And there's like characters who like ship the characters within the show. And the show has been on for too long That's why I'm able to speak to all of this, even though I have seen zero of it and don't actually know, like, what the point is.
1: That was a shockingly cogent summary. And I applaud you for your paying attention, probably against your will, to the various things that people made you look at. Didn't you, didn't you think, (laughs) didn't, did you really think that the first, like, Check, Please fan art that you saw, or not fan art, the first Check, Please panel that you saw was the angel from Supernatural, whose name I won't say, so you're not spoiled about how to say it. Kissing
0: Butters. Don't care. Kissing Butters from South Park. Yes, literally. When I saw Jack and Biddy, I'm sure I'll bring this back when we like do this comic at the end of year two. Uh, Yeah, the first time I saw Jack and Biddy kissing in um, Goodbye for the Summer, where Biddy is like in Jack's, room at the house wearing like a blue hoodie and jack is in his graduation robes i didn't think this like for real for serious for like an extended period of time but definitely my first like wait what was i thought it was castiel kissing butters stotch from south park like literally i was like what and then i was like oh this couldn't possibly be it let's find out more and then yada yada this podcast you chose the correct pronunciation. Nice job. Oh, I did? Fuck. <laughs> I really thought it was Castile, like, as I said that. <laughs> no. Um, here's what I'll say about
1: Supernatural. I wrote a that, fic about it once. That's all you need to know. They're very, very Yeah, cool. no,
0: I mean, just in terms of, like, Ngozi style being subjective, I think that graduation rope looked like a trench coat. <laughs> Please write Jack and Biddy role-playing Castiel and Butters in part of their effort. I, I'm going to say please don't. Please don't waste your time. We've given so many better like fanfics that like people should write, I think, even during this episode. I can't remember what they were, but like don't write that one. Uh, speaking of Ngozi, though, um, yeah, I've basically made like a subcategory that's like... Um, discourse about Ngozi and like the way that people treat Ngozi and I guess the sort of like overarching like frame I put on it is that there are a lot of takes that are basically like x y and z is unfair to Ngozi and or don't do x y and z because it's not what Ngozi would want and I guess the sort of easiest points I'd make about this are, uh, number one, unless she outright says something, how the hell would we know what she would want? But number two, and perhaps more important to me, is that the whole point of fandom as an enterprise is to make content that is not explicitly beholden to the author. So what the author would want is very rarely my concern in fandom. Now, this pertains mainly to fan work and, like, discourse that's happening among fans, It's obviously not okay to, like, antagonize a creator. You shouldn't at her if you're angry about something in the comic. Like, whatever it is that you're angry about, I promise, like, whatever sense of, like, social injustice you harbor is not something you should bring to her specifically. Partly because she has demonstrated that she will, like, interpret it as, like, hate or, like, antagonism, even if your point is, like, good and ostensibly correct. But more to the point, it's just, like, a good rule in fandom not to, like, direct your ire at the creator. Like, just just don't. Like, in terms of etiquette, like, just don't. Even though, yes, in this case, she is the creator and she obviously has like a publishing deal and some kind of platform, we all understand that she is not like George Lucas' level of power or whatever it is that you are angry about. Some people who are the creative masterminds behind certain things with big franchises, like whoever owns Marvel at this point, like, yeah, obviously like shit on them. Who gives a crap? Like, first of all, they're probably not going to hear it. And second of all, whoever they are, they can probably just like, withstand that criticism. But, I mean, we do understand that, like, even though within the hierarchy of Check, Please! fandom, like, Ngozi has the most power and the largest platform, the hierarchy of Check, Please! fandom is, like, relatively collapsible. So I'm not saying by any means, please feel free to be an asshole to her. Like, she is a human being, and she's obviously, like, right over there. However... The point of fandom is specifically to like, not necessarily just do what the author says and do what the author wants. And like writing takes on the characters that are against authorial intent is part of doing fandoms. Uh, I find that take lacking.
1: This is part of an overlapping with what I, am not part of at all, but understand exists, like Stan culture on Twitter, and to other extents on other platforms, where a creator becomes discussed in idealized terms until at some point they are no longer idealized, and at that point they become like a villain basically. Um, Obviously, there are ways to have complex relationships with things that you really like, and with people who you really, really like, or whose work you really respect. But I have found in this particular fandom, in my experience, that although I fully don't think that anyone should direct their frustration at Ngozi, like, but... The idea that you can't critique the comic at all or you are betraying the author is something I find really curious. And that is definitely a kind of defense that I have seen leveraged at people who critique the comic, and I and I find it really confusing. I, I wouldn't say that I like stand anything. I just like things, or just like things, or like people, or just like people, but certainly don't have personal identity attached to it in the same way. Or so it seems to me as someone completely outside of that culture. I also think like there are reasons to defend an author who you really like. Like I think it's okay to say, "Hey, I'm uncomfortable with how you're talking about this person," but. To take any criticism of a piece of work as a personal attack on the author is a take that I cannot logically unfold. I can emotionally kind of like understand how you end up in that place, but I cannot actually completely map the logical chains that it takes from point A, I don't like this comic, to point Z, um, you have like personally insulted the creator. and are being unfair or or whatever. Like, I I can't quite get there.
0: This goes back a long time. People who make things have been complaining about the way that, like, their fan base has uh, treated it for many, many years. I'm thinking about the uh, Simpsons episode, Itchy and Scratchy and Poochy, where uh, Poochie the rockin' dog is introduced, and the character, the comic book guy was introduced to basically parody this kind of fan culture. After seeing this character makes the criticism, it was the worst episode ever. And Bart Simpson speaking with the words of the writers directly in his mouth say, well, if anything, the show has given you thousands of hours of entertainment for free, if anything, you owe them. And then the comic book guy's response to that is worst episode ever. This episode was written in like the mid-1990s as a response in part to like Usenet group criticism of recent Simpsons episodes. So it's not like conversations around this are coming out of nowhere. By the way, we're talking about like a writer's room of like predominantly white men being given like the fattest possible trough by Fox for one of their most profitable shows in the mid-1990s, and their feelings were hurt by, like, a bunch of dweebs on a Usenet group. This is not, like, an original problem here, but there is this model that has been described. I think it was originally articulated by somebody called Obsession underscore Inc. in 2009 that there are effectively two models of fandom. There is affirmational fandom, which is a male coded behavior where you love the canon and everything you do is supporting the canon as it exists, including memorizing trivia, buying collectibles, trying to like iterate and support the version of canon that is being given to you by the author. And then there is a female coded kind of fandom that is called transformational fandom. And that is the kind of fandom that we participate in when we make fan art and when we make fanfic and when we create discourse and write meta posts critiquing the canon. It feels so foundational to me that I don't even remember if I've discussed it. But what I think is really interesting about Check Please fandom is that many of the fans in Check Please fandom, even though they are the kinds of fans who you'd think would be transformational fans, are acting in an affirmational mode for Check Please, where they want to make fan works which is a transformative practice, but they want to do it in an affirmational way. And I feel like this is this really weird kind of like twisted around fandom that's unlike anything I have ever been in before.
1: Again, I think this has to do with the fact that Czech Police started on Tumblr in a particular community, that Ngozi is not a corporation. She is a person who was like, used to be one of us, you know? I also suspect that it has to do with finally having a canon that felt like something you could affirm. Like, that was really empowering for a lot of people after many canons that were not able to be approached in an affirmational way because of inherently what they were about. While affirmational fandom is fine, it's A, somewhat limiting, and therefore not the kind of fandom I personally practice, and then B, very unfair to try to get other people to change how they're doing fandom in order to match how you're doing fandom. Like, as you said before, all of these things can be happening at the same time and don't need to refute each other. Affirmational fandom does not need to cancel out transformational fandom and vice versa. Like, these things all exist at the same time. Not to get too postmodern about it here, but like, really. I think this idea of multiple realities existing at the same time and all being, to quote a favorite Tumblr word, valid, which is not a word I love, but is useful in this case, is for some reason not something that Czech Please! Fandom has found easy to internalize in itself, really. And so you end up with these factions of people with a different relationship and view of characters and author kind of getting defensive at each other. Now, what I think is interesting about the Simpson thing that you mentioned is that, of course, those are in fact the creators themselves getting defensive. And I think any creator can get defensive in the face of critique of their work. I don't necessarily think it's a good idea. Like I think part of creating and putting things into the public is learning how to deal with criticism. But yeah, sure, it happens. What I find really fascinating about Check, Please and other kinds of internet culture, that idealize a creator is that like, actually you aren't making the thing. You are also a fan. So why does it feel necessary to like dictate how people
0: should interact with that thing? And it's because I think of personal investment in it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's all sorts of people and we all have different biases and some of them are contradictory, but as long as none of them are harmful... Why can't they all just stand?
1: Right. I think a lot of the times in fandom, at least, that I've noticed, and I certainly saw this begin in Check, Please, and I've seen it continue uh, less so in Check, Please, I think, because my circle has sort of shifted more towards a particular group of people who don't tend to engage in this, or maybe it's just not happening as often in Check, Please anymore. But certainly it's happening in the id fandom, where what is harmful becomes very contentious. And like the idea that fiction is harmful becomes very central. So, or like certain kinds of fiction are harmful and therefore shouldn't be written, et cetera.
0: I think this is something we're going to touch on before the episode is over. And I think it's really kind of hanging over a lot of this... In terms of stuff that like people debate about that has to do with like sort of how Ngozi moderates her own fan base, there's a lot of wink over like the comic is all free so it should be exempted from criticism because this is like a passion project that's like a gift from the heart. And it's like, uh, mm, uh, you know, is it all free? And like, I'm not even answering that is the the thing. Like, I think it's such a contentious subject. The introduction of the economics of crowdfunding have made this so incredibly complicated that again, we would like need a whole episode to basically try to break down like the different viewpoints people have on this particular topic. But what I do think is true is uh, just because something is free, why does that mean you shouldn't critique it? So many things exist in a public space, but like once they're put forward as part of a discourse, like you can comment on it. You shouldn't be mean about it, but people seem to confuse any kind of comment with meanness. Any kind of critique is often interpreted as like hate. As we've discussed several times on this podcast, I just don't think that's true. I also think that related to that, there's a huge amount of wink in the Sheckley's fandom about badly handled logistics. So what do I mean by that? Well, people have a ton of complaints about how the Patreon is handled and moderated, how the various Kickstarters have been handled and moderated. And there's tons of discourse over the breaks and hiatuses that the comic went on. And um, have we gotten into this for some reason i'm having like deja vu over whether or not this has been on the podcast i think we've
1: discussed it briefly but we can get into it a little yeah
0: i mean it's like the prize or one of the stretch goals for the first kickstarter was like more consistent updates uh if you want to talk about subjective boy that's something that's like virtually impossible to define oh you're sticking your finger up I'm sorry. I really have to use the bathroom. Can we pause for a second? You know what? I'll go too. Okay. Oh, shit. Have reading comprehension and like I followed the recipe unlike some people. I'm not even referring to anybody. I was just like, I don't know, maybe some people don't.